Welcome to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. I'm producer Josh Schneider-Weiler, and for this episode, Simon Austin and I went behind the scenes at Burnley's Academy. We were given a tour of their Barnfield Training Center by their Academy Manager, John Pepper. This is our parents' lounge. So in the evening, this is really well occupied um, with the parents when they come and watch training. And you can see, just walking uh, through the parents' lounge, you can see our indoor area, which is quite impressive. Um, 60 per 40. Would have been nice to have a full-size one. I don't think they could get the planning permission for the full-size one, but it's really, really helped our programme in the last couple of years. So this is really heaving every day, every night. Uh, particularly with the schoolboys in the evening uh, and daytime, um, the 18s and 23s come in and then players on day release. Obviously, the weather in Burnley, it can be uh, a little bit indifferent. So, again, great environment to work in and develop players in. Um, and it gets a gets a lot of use. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I was going to ask, actually, how do you kind of judge success as an academy? What What are your criteria for success? Good, good question because obviously we've been in a transition from going from Cat 3 to Cat 2 and building the, the infrastructure in place. So I think the success has been um, more recently is making that transition through the categories and putting the staffing in place and, and really getting um, the independent standards organisation to sort of say, yes, you, you know, you're at that standard. So that short term, it's meeting the criteria that the Premier League set with EPPP rules. Moving forward, it's going to be more than that. So moving forward, you're looking at player development and how many players are probably in our first team, how many players are out there in the Football League playing and, and then return on investment. Yeah, I think long term, you need a return on investment from putting the, this infrastructure in place so I think mi- short term it's really about getting everything in place and meeting the EPPP rules but I think within you know the next five years really going to be judged on how many players we develop and what sort of return on investment we get and um, whether that's players in the first team or there's people being players being sold on um, so like m- any other academy that's probably what you're getting uh, judged on yeah because we do our academy productivity rankings every year and I know Burnley are low around about the 70 mark I think for the last two seasons yeah. um, but it's a bit harsh I guess when you're starting from a lower starting point like I know Fleetwood was second bottom I think but they're very new to having an academy in EPPP yeah and, and it's um, you're starting you know you're starting a race you know probably 20 yards behind and a 100 meter you know 100 yard race so we we there is catch up we are playing catch up um but uh i think there's a lot of clubs out there historically produce players but they may not be producing players uh, moving forward because ownership might have changed managers might have changed uh, etc so i think moving forward we can only be judged on what's in place now and and not historic performance you know what we we're producing moving forward from this day so that's you know that, that i i'm fully aware that productivity is really low so the club have addressed it i think that's that's the main thing to sort of the main message the club have addressed it by putting this in place and you know moving towards category one okay so this is the academy office open office so we've got um nearly 
nearly up to 30 full-time staff in here um, in various capacities. We've got uh, people in performance analysis, um, safeguarding, head of education, transport and logistics, sports science, medicine, obviously coaching staff, um, recruitment staff, a, a vast range of people um, in this sort of uh, open office to support the players on the pitch and off the pitch. It's really important that oh, it's obvious what you do on the pitch, but off the pitch, how they're supported um, uh, in this environment. If you look just in, in the, the meeting room here, we've got a weekly um, operations meeting. Obviously, quite a large number of people in here. Okay, and they, they're discussing the weekly schedules, so the logistics behind just running an academy now is getting, getting massive um, with all the people involved and all the players involved in that. Has the staffing increased a lot since you went Cat 2? Was it two years ago? Yeah, so I think when I arrived, we're looking at probably 12, 13, 14 full-time staff, and now we're getting into the high 20s, and we're probably... When we go um, move towards Cat One, we'll be looking at 30, 30 plus full-time staff. So I don't think these offices weren't designed for that amount of people. So we've almost outgrown um, the building um, to a degree um, within two years because the academy is getting and big. And obviously, you go across a lot of Cat One academies. The staffing structure is is massive, and operationally, it is it is big. Yeah. So are you ready to go Cat 1 now, do you think, potentially? Yeah, we've just got a couple of staff that we need to put in place. There's some new rules that have come out for Cat 1 just recently. So um, particularly on player care, we, we need to um, employ someone on player care full time um, and a little bit more support on the education. Um, so, but we're virtually there. The infrastructure's in place. Um, as you can see, the facilities in place. Um, we're operating way and above category two sort of uh, requirements. So it, it's logical that the, the more we continue and to sustain Premier League status, that we need to make sure that we're operating also the, our academy and youth development programme at the highest level possible. Yeah. And when could you be Cat One? Do you think we'll get audited next year? Uh, so we'll stay in the Cat Two programme. Uh, next year and if you know all being well we then move into the category one program the following year so one more year and uh, so so we have to have everything in place for next year so when we get audited and then the following season if we get the go-ahead we'll we'll be in there yeah brilliant and will that make a big difference to you in terms of recruiting players I think that'll be a really big difference in terms of recruitment at the top end for you know for 18s and 23s uh, they want to be playing in the best games programme. If we're attracting the best players that we can possibly, then we need to provide the best games programme and the best experience. And if we really want to develop Premier League players, they have to have that best, you know, that experience of playing against the best, with the best, and that challenge. So that is the next big step, really. This is the theatre, cinema. Big projector on the wall, obviously theatre style. Uh, so a lot of the pre-match analysis goes on in their team briefings. So probably a Friday before a Saturday game, the, the players will go in. Uh, and also the staff will look at, obviously, videos of opposition, etc. So a lot of planning goes on in this room uh, and sort of um, communication with the players as a group. And would you ever use this as an academy? 
Yeah, yeah, we often use this, the 23s will use this, 18s, we do presentations in here. Essentially, first team get the first use of it, but if they're um, not using it, we can have access to this. Yeah, so this is the dining area. Um, scholars can go in there, they release players, so, but they all, they all get the food from the, from the main area, so a lot of mixing in here. And then downstairs, you've got the changing rooms, hydro pools, ice baths, things like that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you again as an academy use those facilities. Yes, yeah, we share all those facilities, which is great. So that's that's recruitment. So that's Mike Riggs area since Mike's come in. So he's um, you know, they've got a number of uh, video analysts looking at games, watching games to aid recruitment. Um, and you you have the analysis at academy level as well. Yes, we do. Yeah, we do more video analysis to help performance. In there, it's more video analysis to help aid recruitment, so looking at players from across Europe and across the world. Um, so certainly, you know, that that's, a, again, an area that's that's increased um, and sort of Mike Riggs area, that is. I am Mike Rigg, the technical director of Burnley Football Club. It's probably one of, if not the best, working environments I've in, in 32 years that I've been in and that's testimony to, to everybody from the owner the manager to the everybody here the players and it's it's very difficult to try and describe and explain but it's the, you know and everybody talks about culture and environment and values the club has got a culture in it which in one way it's a bit of a throwback it's 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 a throwback to times when you know I first started getting involved in professional football where there's just some real good honest people in the place um, we are not over staffed if I can use it that way um, and these are all you know terms of endearment that I'm trying to put forward not not so much it, it, what I'm saying is, is I think it's a club and it's an environment that hasn't lost its focus in why we're here um, and there's a lot of discussions that we have now where you go into a football environment and everybody talks about everything other than football whereas in this you know, this, this site, this Barnfield, the training ground and the stadium, they are genuinely um, great people. And, and for me, as a newcomer coming in, it's been a very, very easy transition into this place. Superb. Um, we're here looking behind the scenes at the academy today. Is the academy fundamental to the club as a whole? Yeah, of course. And I think it makes it it makes it even more fundamental now. Dwight McNeil's come through and been a significant part in our first team. It, it's regardless to what everybody said. You know, youth development is not about be, being a community scheme. Youth development is about doing two things: about bringing players through the system and selling them on to other clubs. So I hate to use the word, but it is business because that's why it is. And then it's about getting players through into your first team. And with Dwight McNeil being such a, an amazing success this this year in the first team and how he's been cultured and developed from the academy um, into Sean's first team and what Sean and the staff have done with him. That's why it makes this academy so important. And as you mentioned, you've worked at several other clubs, had a long career. How does this academy compare to others? Well, if I'm honest, I, I genuinely haven't had anywhere near the amount of time to spend inside the academy. My focus has been very much on various structural and organisation things that I try to do when I get into the when I've got into the job and and very much so you know I, I started the first of December so a, 
a big focus was preparing for as best I can for the January window. And obviously since then, it's being prepared for the summer. Yeah. Does it come under your remit? Yes, it does. Yeah. So, so effectively as technical director, um, you know the recruitment and the in the uh, academy, the player development, could a player pathway. I think which everybody kind of uses the phrase now falls under falls under me. So I would like to think that my job is not to do everybody else's job. My job is to try and put a plan together, a longer term plan, where we uh, you know player acquisition and player development is a fundamental part of what what Burnley are trying to achieve. And so you would have a chart, would you essentially with each position and then you'd know the players coming through the academy and that would affect your recruitment as yes. well? Well, it's, it, so there's two... Every football club has to survive on two... It's two parts. One, succession planning. So it's having a plan for what you've got in the building. So we have a, mon- a meeting on Monday, I believe, to do that. Um, we have a regular get-together to review the players that we have in the system and then plan out a pathway for them. And then the second part is to create a target list for players that... We need to acquire in the club, so that could be at any time, any point, any position. So it's the same in every football club. You've either got to out and buy or you've got to develop your own. And every club wants to have, predominantly, or mainly every club, wants to have a mixture of both of them. Uh, it just depends how long you want to persist with it and how much you're prepared to invest. And when I say invest, it's not just a financial investment. It's an investment of you know time and effort and energy, um, and I think what Dwight McNeil has done this year is shown the way for everybody that our club can and, and should be doing that. Dwight came in before I was here, so he he got released from Man United. Um, I believe he came in on a three-week trial three or four weeks. He got signed as an under-14 or going into the under-15 season. Um, and when I was arrived, he was playing for the under-18s. So he was a first year playing in the under-18s. He had a few games in the under-23s as an under-18. Um, I remember him playing up front in one game at Ewood Park against Blackburn 23s. He looked like a little boy just running around up front because he was only 16 years old. But then... Um, he established himself in the 18s when Michael Duff got the role as a 23 coach. He took a group of them who were second-year scholars, played them in the 23s every week. Uh, they went through a period where they lost a lot of games, but they were young, very young. And I think Dwight really shined in that year, and he got the Young Player of the Year last year. In the 20, and he was playing 23s football week in week out, and then he got his opportunity last game of the season versus Bournemouth, and then. He got his opportunity in the Europa League, uh, and then just obviously, um, obviously just before Christmas, and he's never really looked back. So, I think he's made that tr- transition from 18s, 23s, a very smooth step into first team. That that doesn't happen for a lot of players. There's very few that do that. They usually have to go out on loan and get some senior experience. But he's been training with the first team obviously all this season and the back end of last season and I think that's really helped that, you know that that's one pathway for him but another boy might have a different pathway and go out and have a lot of loan experiences and then come back in you know Harry Kane had that had a lot of loan experience and then got his opportunity so there's not a I don't think there's a straightforward or a magic formula to any 
any player getting into the first team, what suits them at the time. And, you know, I think Dwight's had an opportunity and seized that opportunity and, and not looked back. How did it work? Would Sean come and watch him play for the under-18s and the 23s? Or were you saying to the manager, look, you need to have a look at this lad, he's yeah, very good? I think I think the good thing that we've had here, we've had obviously we've got Steve Stone now, who works very closely with the manager. Michael Duff, ex-player, working very closely with the managers at under-23s. Mike Jolly before that. So we've got a very good... Um, almost our infrastructure lends itself to that communication and obviously the gaffers are aware um, of all the better players in, in the academy particularly the sort of 23s and 18s he comes and watches whenever he can he has lots of players training with him whenever he gets the opportunity brings players up and then his, the first team staff are very good as well Tony Lockman and, 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 and Ian Wone also working closely with the under 23 coach so there's a good communication on a daily basis um, and very interested in how the young players are doing and so they get lots of opportunities in training watching games um, and then pre-season another good time so a lot of the younger players play in pre-season so lots of different methods for that that transition and, and so the gaffer will be aware of anybody that's you know and sort of knocking on the door and are there any messages you take from Dwight that you say to the lads now that as a role model, you know, he did this, he did that? Yeah, on and off the pitch. Um, on the pitch, working very hard. Dwight's an attacking player, loves to get on the ball. So, uh, and like any sort of, he, he's tended to play mainly wide, although in the 23s we put him centre mid, which he really excelled at. But any wide players like to dribble and like to get forward and like put crosses in, but don't necessarily like running back, you know, and, and tracking back and defending. So he's really added that to his game. He's really bought into you've got to work hard and you've got to run um, and add that side to his game. And I think that's really from his scholarship years, he's really bought into that and worked hard. And then off the pitch, you know, never had any problems with him uh, when he was on his education side. I don't think he particularly loved the education, but he just got his head down and worked hard, never caused any problems, exceeded his um, target grades in his education. And this is all the time where, whilst he's training with the first team. So a real good role model on and off the pitch. You know, you can achieve you can achieve high things and 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 high standards by just getting your head down and knuckling down and, and and working hard and listening to the right people. Yeah. How far did he go with his education? Uh, he did his BTEC program as part of the scholarship. I think um, they're telling me he did exceed his grades, which is good. So because he because he was in around the first team at the time, he could have thought, oh, I don't need to do this, but he did. He got his head down and did that. Possibly. If he didn't, it hadn't got a contract, it might have been go towards university, but I don't think it ever got to that stage, really. So at least he's got something to fall back on, and he's got that sort of work ethic to fall back on if he wants to go into coaching or something else later on in life. We're now we're walking into the classroom. So here is uh, where a lot of our players get educated if they're coming out of school on day release. They're getting educated by um, specialist tutors or the scholars are coming in and doing extra work. They go to college on a Monday afternoon and Wednesday, but they do additional work in, in here in the classroom. So we, we do place a big emphasis on 
education and personal development um, and the plan B because we do understand that um, the success rate and the percentages do show that there's a lot of dropout, a lot of failure within within football, and we recognise that. So there's a big emphasis on the on the player care, there's education support. Um, we've released eight scholars recently, um, so we didn't get pro contracts. So a number have gone on trials elsewhere. A number have got opportunities and um, to go to university through our education program. Uh, so a number have got offers from universities and some have got offers to go to America and play so that's really important to us that we develop good people so it's part of our values develop good people and and give them that support so if they don't make it here you know they have got a plan B and it's not the end of the world and and then some come back as coaches we are one of our assistant goalkeeping coaches was a scholar here um, up to recently He's now gone into coaching and one of our ex-scholars has gone to be a physio. And then we've got an ex-scholar here um, who's just signed a two-year pro contract at Fleetwood. So that's what we deem success in, in, in some aspect. The obvious ones are the ones that get in the first team or get sold on. Um, but also success comes down to you know, their sort of exit routes and how they transition from being in the club on a pro contract or... Uh, a scholarship contract into the wider world do you you still have responsibility you feel for players when they've left you don't just wash your hands of them when they've gone no no and um, we're going to put more support into that area as well so we're going to um, employ someone on the player care to really follow up um, some of uh, those players who's left us our head of education does that at the moment but he's got a big role as well so um, yeah, that's really important. And, you know, 12 months, 18 months down the line, we still have players coming back looking for support. You know, they've, they've not been successful in, in finding a club or, a, you know, or a job or something like that. And they come back and say, look, I, I need some help and support. And we always say our doors open. So often, you know, I get a phone call or someone else gets a phone call and, you know, you see them walking through the door 12 months later looking for some help and support. And I think that's really important now. And I think, we, you know, as a as an industry, we've got to get better at that. I think everyone's sort of waking up to the idea we've got to be better uh, at that, particularly for the ones who've, you know, been involved in the system for such a long time. You know, they might not know any different. Um, and that's where I go back to, if you have been involved in the academy, it's not been a negative experience. It's got to be a positive experience because, you know, their formative years, teenage years and childhoods probably been essentially spent in an academy. If you don't equip them for the wider world, then you're almost failing them as a as a person as well. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. Yeah. So, so even if they don't make it as football as you're aiming to have given them skills that will help them in their lives? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean... You come into this building, uh, it's sort it's of Disneyland facilities, isn't it? Um, they get all the kit washed for them, they all stay in digs, they get transported in because, you know, that's that's a safe way, so we know they're coming in from the various digs around the Burnley area, but then we have to really make sure that we equip them with the skills to when they go into the wider world that they, you know, they, they can almost fend for themselves so that's tricky you know tricky when you're operating at such a high level that you're not doing everything for them you're getting them to think for themselves and you're providing them really good life skills um, 
whether that's preparing them for a job interview, preparing them for a, a job application, or simply if they might have to go and uh, live in a flat on their own and be able to cook for themselves and pay the bills and things like that. So we do a lot of education around that. Again, we need to get better at it. I think that's key. We've got to really get better at it um, because I, I think that that's the danger is you do everything for them. And, you know, you hear stories of pro players who can't can't pay a bill and they don't know where to get the car service or they don't know how to book a flight and things like that because they've all, all they've ever had is someone to do it for them. That That is a big debate at the moment, isn't it, really? And the thing as well about how you coach lead millennials and and younger and people saying that kids are softer nowadays and I don't don't, what what do you think from working directly with them yeah I think there's a little bit of that I think the 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 teenage of of the millennial that you sort of call them is different to the teenage of 20 years ago you know when I started working with them you could you could treat them a lot harder and they expected to be treated a lot harder I don't think necessarily the work the work ethic is less I think they're just, you know, it's just a different, we have to move on and obviously being 40 plus myself and, you know, young people, it's it's different. Like when I was a young person, it was a lot different. Um, I think you just got to move on with the times and you're never going to go back to how it was and the young person probably expects a lot different now. So you have to sort of go with the times but also have some key key values that you... you um, fall back on so the beauty about uh, this building is we've just come from the academy offices and the parents lounge and we're just walking through here um and you can now see that's the first team manager's office so within yards of being in the academy you're coming through to the first team area this is all the first team support staff through here and then you're walking through to the um, the hub of the uh, training ground which is the dining room where we do integrate with the first team staff, uh, first team players. So the academy players do mix with the the first team players in here uh, on a daily basis. Yeah, that's interesting actually, because I know there was a situation where teams seemed to be having the separation deliberately. But you think that is a useful thing to mix together? No, it, it, it's. I think it's. Um, it's vital um, and again you go back to recruitment we know we've had a number of trialists in this week and the fact that they're coming in for lunch uh, up here and they, they've, they've seen the first team players face to face first team manager um, in the same area I think that that's massive really and for the younger players you know we're, we're big on standards here and, and conduct and, and the values and if a young player who's 16, 17 years old is in and around this, this environment uh, with elite performers, then they have to raise their standards and they stand out like a sore th- thumb if they don't, you know, and, and, and the staff will really hone in on that. So I think it shapes shapes their behaviour on a daily basis. So if they weren't around this environment, I mean, I've been to many clubs where they're on a different site, some work from colleges or schools, and it doesn't feel like a football club. And, and here it does feel really like a football club. And are the senior players good with the academy players? Uh, they're brilliant, uh, excellent, really, really good. And if you know, any time we ask for any help from the first team uh, players, no second thought on and coming and helping the the younger players. And we've had a, a few of the senior players, Anders Lindegaard, Tom Heaton, Ben Mead, do their coaching badges this year. So Tom Heaton done his A license this year. 
um, Ben and Anders done the B licence and part of that they had to take the um, the younger players uh, for coaching sessions in the afternoon which you know the, the supporters won't see that you know they're giving up their afternoons and, and actually they see a different side to to the game you know and then being a player where really they're just focusing on themselves by having to deliver sessions it, it's good for them and we support that as an academy so our head of coaching Ian Jones really supports that program and helps helps any sort of staff member who wants to get through the coaching badges um in that you know um get them through that and support that hi i'm ian jones head of coaching at burnley football club head of coaching it depends on what club you're at so when the premier league brought these job roles out uh, probably 3 seasons ago it was up to the club to uh, choose which sort of avenue they wanted to go to. So whether you're going to be a coach developer, so very similar to what the FA do, but an in-house one looking at the way you can coach within the club, or whether you're overlooking at the whole curriculum, uh, or the players within that, and how the whole uh, club's linked up from pre-academy right through to the under-23s. So it depends on which which way the club want to go. So, so do you have a distinct coaching philosophy then at Burnley? We have... We have a distinct way we like to play. Uh, in terms of the way we coach, uh, we don't really want robots here. So some clubs would say everyone must coach this way. Uh, the language they use, the terminology they use will be very uh, similar. Uh, I've sort of gone the opposite way where I want the coach to bring their unique style. So whatever they bring to the table, we want them to, to really highlight that rather than it being a, a, a ro- robotic version of myself or Steve Stone or whoever that may be. And John was talking again about the um, progression to Cat 1 soon. Will, will that really change things, do you think, in the way you do your job? Yeah, the difference for Cat 1, so take away the funding and the building, all the paraphernalia that goes with it. The the main driver to be Cat 1 is the games programme from 15s upwards is massively improved. So the difference, so our staffing levels are already Category 1 staffing levels, really. So our under-9s to under-15s are already in a in the Cat 1, Cat 2 game programme, so it won't make a massive difference there. But at the top end, I think that's where you see the difference, so 16s, uh, 18s and 23s. And just a final one, there's quite a big debate on the site about how you coach young players, basically. And You hear these phrases, snowflakes, players can't take criticism now. Um, but then other people say players are better at taking empowerment, responsibility. What do you think, for This is a massive that, question. Yeah, it is a massive one, yeah. So society has also evolved as well as the game. So yes, we do coach slightly differently now than when I probably first started 17, 18 years ago. But society has also massively changed. So kids are now not out on the street as much as they are. So one of the jobs of academies at the minute is we're replicating what we used to do as, as children. So there's, we have a multi-sports programme here because the children don't do any other sport but football. So we try and stop early specialisation as much as we can. But obviously we do need to produce a footballer, so there is some specialisations. When I first started out in academy coaching, it was training two nights a week for an hour and a half and then playing on a Sunday. Then the EGWP came out and it then went to two days, three days, three days and a day off school, three days, Saturday, Sunday. It then becomes almost like uh, the same sort of hours as a youth team player was doing. So an under 12 was actually doing similar hours to a youth team player. So it's... Uh, the the game has to look at itself a little bit as well. That so it was becoming a bit kind of formalised, possibly too young. So, but when the Triple Peak first came around, apart from your your big four, 
obviously a lot of clubs wanted to uh, be a category one because of, apart from the, the status thing, it helped attract players, it got more money in. So what happened was a lot of clubs literally took the rules literally. So every rule they had to adhere to. So I think the rules were an under 18 player had to do 14 hours of contact time with the ball a week. The under 12s had to do, I think it was eight to 10 hours. So it became really tick box exercise. Every child in the learning objective that had to change every six weeks. But if, you, if you're in school, you're not gonna learn uh, algorithms in six weeks. You might get it in four, you might get it in 15 weeks. But yet every week you had to change because the curriculum told you had to change. So the Premier League, to be fair, have done a, a good job of evaluating and looking at it and they're changing the, the processes now. So it's becoming less tick box and more club driven that they're supporting from the outside. Younger, particularly under nines through to under twelves, um, we really do treat them um, not like mini professionals. We keep it very fun and engaging. We do don't, you know, there's not a lot of sort of um, team talks within within those sort of uh, age groups. They play a lot of games. There's a lot of different types of games, different formats, and we also div do uh, different sports with them as well. So at the moment, that age group, those age groups every week do rugby, tag rugby, that is, Thai boxing, uh, gymnastics, and the sports science team run a, a gladiators theme type activity. Remember when gladiators on yeah. the TV? Um, so they've sort of replicated that. So lots of different activities just to really give them a, a real a fun experience and really enjoy a bit enjoyable experience the problem we have with it in the academy is we're taking them four five times a week to come into training and play games they don't have any opportunity to do, to experience other things and and do other sports so it very much from my my sort of thoughts are to give them that experience socially so if they do drop out at any stage they don't feel like they've missed out on a childhood um and, and they've had opportunities to experience different things. We go on tours, lots of tours uh, across Europe. They get lots of opportunity to do that. And also we follow a school year, so we don't follow a football season for the younger ones. So uh, half terms and holidays, they have the holidays off. Half terms, they'll probably play a tournament, either away from the club or within the club. We host a tournament and they don't come in training. Um, during them school holidays so they can be children they can interact with their friends they can go on holiday with their parents they can have other interests uh, as well as playing football because I, I do believe if they're here from a young age so we have to recruit at seven and eight we have to do it from a business point of view if we don't recruit at those ages we miss out it's not te not necessarily my belief but if we don't do it we'll miss out on the best players if they're here from seven, eight years old, right through to 18, 19, if they're doing the same thing same, um, day in, day out, same type of sessions, just watered down, under 18 sessions or under 12, under 10, I think it, they can, it can become very, very stagnant and very stale. So that's my thoughts, really. Young age, treat it like fun. Don't necessarily think they should be near a football club at that age but hey that's what the world we live in at the moment and it does help recruitment 
being in this facility, uh, such a good facility, training next to the first team on, on the first team facilities. It does help with re recruitment and romance parents, um, but do I believe in an under nine, under 10 should be playing it at Premier League facilities and think they play for a Premier League club? No, not necessarily. But that's the rules and that's the system we live in at the moment. So we try and make it as fun as possible and as engaging as possible. So the experience at Burnley Academy is has a real positive experience. I'm with Ashley Higgins, Foundation Phase Coach at Burnley. Can you just first say um, the ages of the kids you coach? Yep, so kids come into the foundation phase at nine years of age. Um, they then leave that at 12 to go into the youth development phase. So we, we have four age groups that are classed as the foundation phase. That's under nines, tens, elevens and twelves. So we have a 50-50 split. 50% um, of, the, of the, the week is a training session. So two evenings will be a training session. Another evening will be a games programme night. Um, and then on a Sunday, they will play a games programme day as well. So we have a 50-50 split between games and matches in a variety of different formats, as well as training sessions. Well, why do you uh, make it 50-50 with games and, and practices? Yeah, I think young children can do a lot of practicing. Um, and the whole reason why we, we do any sort of practice is to repeat something to put it back into the game. So we see that the, the game in its purest form and, and in that opportunity for the youngest stage groups that we have is the, the the best way that we see that they can learn and, and take those skills from a smaller format, for example, into a bigger one. So the, the games are manipulated to get the outcomes that we're looking for. You know, a big hot topic is how can we, you know, get street football back into the game? Uh, so is do you try to do that at Burnley? Yeah, I think nowadays we try to control a lot of what we used to have within within our lives and within sport and within um so there's certain things that are uncontrollable but we do we do try to have more informal games and, and more street like play um for example a friday evening we would have bring uh, teams in from grassroots teams to other academies sometimes it can be internal where the boys play against each other then rules can be quite strict sometimes we have a referee on the pitch as in football rules or they can just be where the player-led rules, where the, the children are deciding, the old jumpers for goalposts sort of matches where you know, the kids are deciding how a goal is scored, how many points you can get for that goal. And um, our, way, our job as coaches is to, I suppose, to encourage them to think about what they're trying to get better at through, through doing that um, and to consciously think about, you know, I'm going to try and score an overhead kick, for example, because that's an amazing way of scoring a goal. Or, they're going to be creative in, in what they're trying to do that night. So yeah, there's there are we try to plan how much of our work and our games program is informal and player like and and street football like and how much of it is um, what you would sort of see within a formal academy setting nowadays. It seems like when you plan it, um, there's a lot of different uh, activities that you plan and you, there's a lot of variety, um, and it seems like that might be a focus um, of yours. Yeah, variety for us is really important within the games program. Um, I'll give you an example. So we have we have a set uh, plan. So from the start of the year to the end of the season, we would plan that each age group would experience a variety of games. For example, uh, smaller sided formats, four v four, five v five, 
not just football but futsal as well. Um, a very player-like type of game where it's no referee on the pitch, the kids are playing, the, the coach is sort of abstract and it's more about them having their own experience and learning through play as opposed to a more formal setting where it's maybe a 7v7 game, there's a referee on the pitch, uh, the parents then maybe uh, behave certain uh, in a certain way that can be different as well. So there's all there's a variety of different experiences that we try to plan throughout the season. There, we've uh, as we've taken the tour of uh, this beautiful training ground, we've seen that the motto of, of Burnley, which is legs, heart, mind. Um, how do you try to incorporate that with these uh, young players? I think what's really important for the football club is the first team, and for that that first team to do well, the, those three words or those three sort of mottos are really important for the first team. What's important for children who are developing it youth level is that they can not only play for Burnley's first team but they could play for whichever level of football they get to so for us it is within what we do but we don't hold our young players accountable to, uh, for example you know legs if you are an outstanding athlete you're great here if you're not you're not there is we, we have children who are developing people as well as developing athletes and it's really important for us that we don't always play like the first team do. We don't always do what the first team do. They're in a results-driven business and we're in a development-driven business. But they also do need to know that, for example, to play for our first team, which is the overall game, hard work is something that's non-negotiable. But I would, I would suggest that's the same at every single top-level club there is now. When you work with you know such young kids, how do you measure success? Are there any like metrics or things you're looking out for? Or? Yeah, um, smile on the face, so that they're enjoying the process. Because even if a child you see fantastic development is in skill development right now, that can all be finished if they don't choose to play the game when they get older, or if they don't choose to do the things that you know put put them aside from their peers when they're older. So. It's easy to say we look at the skill development, we look at their athletical development, um, their social development and, and their enjoyment of the game is the number one thing for us, that they have to keep wanting, wanting to play this game when their parents aren't pushing them anymore, when they're not being driven to training and when they are adults and they have the choice to make other life choices. We feel that, you know, that something is, is happening. Um, I think try to do it um, pragmatically not do it slowly building so we've slowly built up what what we've got in place now um a long way to go a lot of work to do uh, still which is which is quite exciting because if you felt that everything had, you'd done everything and then you know that that motivation wouldn't be there but i think moving to category one will be a big challenge to us if we do go that way or being the best cat two we can in the area I think the main thing we've got to not lose sight of is you know we're trying to produce players trying to produce good people uh, and not just chasing a category for a category sake why we're doing it you know there's got to be a reason behind why we're trying to what we're trying to do thank you for listening to the training ground guru podcast in association with huddle we will be back next month with an addition from our Youth Development Conference at the AJ Bell Stadium in Manchester. Tickets are still available and you can find more information on the Training Ground Guru website.